1: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump
2: administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com
1: slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, Sarah Sanders says President Trump lied for his son. But that's just what any daddy does for their son. Right? Tell a bunch of lies. Hey, hello everybody. Here we go. Off again on uh, The Bill Press Show this Wednesday, second day of August. Great to see you today. Thank you so much for uh, waking up and joining us here wherever you are in the United States of America and around the world. We're here with you uh, on this Wednesday to uh, bring you up to date on the news of the day, tell you what's going on, uh, whatever happened yesterday and early this morning before you got here, and uh, give you a chance to sound off about it. We look forward to hearing from you on Twitter. At BP Show. Big stories we're looking at. Yes, indeed. The White House now admitting Donald Trump did help craft that statement, uh, lying about the nature of Donald Trump's meeting at uh, the Trump Tower with Russian uh, representatives, but uh, to give them some dirt on Hillary. Uh, But, uh, of course, Donald Trump would do that. Any, Any father would do that for their son, so says the White House. More police blowback against the president's uh, statement that uh, police officers should rough up their suspects. Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey saying pot ought to be, recreational pot should be legal in all 50 states. And did the White House collude with Fox News to put out a false story about the murder of a DNC staffer? Oh, man, lots going on here, including also, let's add this. Senate Republicans said to the president and his what he wants to do about health care. No way. We're tired of playing your games. We're going to do it the right way now. All of that coming up. But first. This is the full court. Ooh, press. Got it. Mr. Just Ogburn. a
3: couple of other stories making news. Now, yes. last week, there was a jailbreak in Alabama. Eleven inmates.
1: Were people breaking d- in or out? They were breaking out. Oh, they oh, were breaking oh. out. And the way that they did so it Peter, is they- re- Peter's relatives. Yeah, these so are my clear. people.
3: These are my people yeah. here. Uh, The way that they got out... You were
1: down there last week, too. I was. Ah. Connecting the dots. (laughs) Look,
3: somebody did a go car, I show up. All right? That's what we do. Well, the way that they got out, actually, is remarkable. One of the inmates smeared peanut butter on a door that leads to the outside of the prison. As one would. As one would. And a young security guard mistook that as a jail cell and said, right this way, and opened the door up. And these inmates walked... Right out, that's how they escaped. It's literally that stupid. It's I, literally that stupid. So they I, smeared I, peanut butter on the door to say like, "Oh, that's my oh. jail cell," but it's my my number is obscured by the oh, peanut butter oh. on the thing. So the, so the security guard opened the door and let him out. <laughs> they captured ten of them last week. One of them had still been on the run. A man by the name of Brady Kilpatrick. Well, last night he was found in Martin County, Florida. Twenty-four-year-old Brady Kilpatrick was taken down by police, and that puts all of the inmates. How many of them were out? Back, 11 inmates. Wow, that's pretty impressive they caught all of them. Yeah, they got all of them. They got all of them pretty quickly, except for this one guy who had made it pretty far. And
1: uh, He was the guy with the peanut butter. He
3: was the, he's the master plan, the guy with the master plan, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so this is uh, scary. Today mm-hmm. is the day known as Earth Overshoot Day. It is a day uh, deemed by WWF and the Global Footprint Network. What it means is we will essentially be living on credit for the rest of the year because in the seven months of the year, we will have used more from nature than our planet can renew in the whole year. This means more carbon emitted than the oceans and forests can absorb in a year. We caught more fish, dropped more trees, harvested more, and consumed more water than the Earth is able to produce. In the same period. So they sort of say you've got, you know, the year, which we use yeah. the calendar year. <laughs> we have enough resources to use for that entire year. where well, we've used all of them up by August 1st.
1: So, what do we do now, dude,
3: for the rest of the year? We're, li- we're living on borrowed time. Yeah, I guess so. And if we keep doing this year after year after year, we're going to use them all up. Got to so
1: use the resources in mar a That's it. So, we just ought to, like, shut down for the rest of the year, right?
3: That sounds like a plan to me. No
1: more fishing, no more breathing.
2: your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press
1: Show. And what do you say on a Wednesday, August 2? Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show. We're glad to join you wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, uh, looking at you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Here with you on WCPT out in Chicago. Hello, Chicago. I haven't been out in Chicago, man. It's almost a year. Oh, at least a year. Man, I love that town. I got to get back. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're looking at you nationwide also on Free Speech TV. Remember, our podcast is always there. Um, well, once the show's over, uh, podcast up at uh, BillPressShow.com uh, where you can join us for the entire show or any part of the show that you might have missed earlier. Check it out. And again, Great to be with you. We're, we're here in Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, where we have a great lineup of guests for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking to uh, the man who's leading the charge to get the 28th Amendment passed to the Constitution of the United States, which would overturn Citizens United. The mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, is going to be here in studio with us, too, to tell us about all the great things that are happening in cities nationwide and where the real leadership in this era of Trump, uh, no matter how short-lived, is, short-lived it is, uh, can't be too short if you ask me, uh, it, the leadership is coming from governors and from mayors uh, around the country. We'll also uh, be talking to a former state senator from Ohio about where the Democratic Democratic senator from Ohio, about where the Democratic Party goes from here, particularly in the heartland. Uh, and then Margaret Taloff, who's a senior White House correspondent For Bloomberg, uh, Bloomberg News will be here with us uh, as well. So a lot's going on today here on the Bill Press Show. That's why it's good to have you with us. And remember, we always want to know, we'll tell you what we think about what's going on. We want to know what you think. So you can send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Yes, indeed, once again, let's start there with the latest we talked about it yesterday with the Don, Donald Trump meeting at Trump Tower. The latest wrinkle is, you know, when uh, word of the meeting came out, the New York Times contacted uh, the White House, Donald Trump Jr., or rather, for a response before they printed their story. Uh, they got a response, and the response said, uh, this meeting was a nothing burger. It happened, uh, it was only a, a representative from Russia, a Russian attorney who was coming in to talk about uh, adoption policies and the possibility that we could persuade Russia to change their blockade or their ban, if you will, on Americans adopting children, uh, little babies in Russia uh, over some dispute with the United States over sanctions. So uh, that turned out to be a great big fat lie. But the latest news is that we now learn that that lie was concocted, was written, was dictated, not by Donald Trump Jr., but by Donald Trump president himself on Air Force One on the way home from the G20 summit. So once again, again, the story has changed. The story went from, first of all, there was no meeting to there was a meeting about adoptions. And then we found out, oh, no, it wasn't about adoptions. It was really about getting dirt on Hillary from the Russians. Uh, and now the story has changed from Donald Trump knew nothing about that meeting. This was what his attorney said all over television. Donald, and the White House said that. Donald Trump knew nothing about the meeting beforehand, after, didn't know what it was about, not, boom, boom, boom. That turns out to be another lie, too. And so what's the White House's response when they're caught in yet another lie? Sarah Sanders, press secretary now, at the White House yesterday, saying, oh, come on, this is no big deal, and daddy just did what any daddy would do.
4: The statement that Don Jr. issued is true. There's no inaccuracy in the statement. The president weighed in as any father would based on the limited information that he had.
2: Now, wait a minute. No.
1: No, 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 the statement Donald Trump issued was not true, because the initial statements that they talked about adoptions, and then Donald Trump Jr., remember, himself released the emails, because he knew the New York Times had them anyway, anyway, and the emails clearly indicated the meeting was set up ahead of time to get dirt on Hillary Clinton that the Russians had put together that they wanted to get to the Trump campaign. We know what the meeting was about. And the idea that was just about adoptions was this lie, again, that Donald Trump himself, the president himself, said, here's what we say. Let's put this out there. Let's put this lie, big, big lie out there. I mean, it is stunning that they then they would say, well, any daddy would do that for their son. I mean, Peter, yeah, I've got two sons. You have two sons, right? This is what you do for your sons. You teach them to lie, cheat, and steal. Yeah, look, I remember- Or you do it for them.
3: Yeah, exactly. I remember uh, one of my kids didn't do his homework uh, and told his teacher that his dog ate his homework. So I actually wrote a whole letter- explaining how the dog had eaten his homework mm-hmm. uh, even though that wasn't true because that's what any good father does they don't take a you know moment to show the child or <laughs> try and teach a lesson here you just teach him that lying is okay when at all costs
1: uh, yeah I mean it, 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 the, 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 the fact that that's their fallback defense right that's their fallback excuse uh, uh, and and to it, also let's just let's just slow down. And realize where we are, because how far we have gone from, there were no contacts at all. We were told that for a year. There were no contacts at all with anybody, with any Russian connections, and anybody in the Trump operation. And what is it the last time we counted? Maybe seven different people that we know now had meetings with different Russian officials from Michael Flynn... To Jared Kushner, to Paul Manafort, to Donald Trump Jr., and there are others on the, on, on, on the list. So now there were all these meetings, and we've gone from there were no meetings to, there. yeah, there were a lot of meetings, but they didn't really amount to anything. And we got nothing out of them, right? When, in fact, the news is here, wait a minute, Yes, there were meetings. Yes, they were about Russian attempts to influence the American election. Yes, the Trump organization, including Donald Trump Jr., knew what the Russians were trying to do. And yes, the Trump operation said, oh boy, can we help you? (laughs) Oh boy, let's get a meeting and find out what's going on again. Collusion sure as hell looks like it to me. That's up to Robert Mueller to decide. But you cannot deny this. There clearly was the intent to collude with the Russians by the very fact that they held this meeting and now made even more worse again by the fact that the president himself wrote this statement for his son to put out to the New York Times. So that's either, I, I think it's both collusion and obstruction of justice. Again, that's Robert Mueller's job, but boy, Donald Trump is certainly putting lots of ammunition in that cannon of Robert Mueller's cannon.
3: By the way, here's Jay Sekulow back on May twelfth on Oh yeah, uh, Good oh. Morning America, mm-hmm. denying
5: that Trump had one anything of many to do. times in which right. he did this. Yep, the president didn't sign off on on anything. He was coming back from the G20. The the statement that was released on Saturday was released by. Donald Trump Jr., I'm sure in consultation with his lawyers, the president wasn't involved in that. Well, then
1: you're t- the president wasn't involved in that. Yesterday, let's play Sarah Sanders again. So, okay, you go from that, the president was not involved in that, to Sarah Sanders yesterday.
4: The statement that Don Jr. issued is true. There's no inaccuracy in the statement. The president weighed in as any father would, based <laughs> on the limited <laughs> information that he had.
1: Uh, so, oops! Yes, the president was involved in it. Yes, he weighed in, but any daddy would have done Ridiculous. the same thing. How Ridiculous. far? How far they have come, right? What do they think we are, idiots? Yeah, you know, their yes. own state Yeah, they do. They hope we are, right? Um, but uh, I'm telling you, give them, give them enough rope, they will uh, <laughs> they will hang they will hang themselves. Uh, that's the latest on the Russian connection. Uh, a little more feedback yesterday, by the way, um, that Donald Trump got. With his comments again last Friday to the uh, up in uh, Long Island to the Suffolk County uh, police uh, to our officers. He went up there, as we know, uh, to talk about efforts on the part of the administration to crack down on the MS 13 gangs. And he ended up riffing about how uh, police officers should uh, not be too, he didn't want them to be too nice when they put people uh, in their police vehicles, rough them up a little bit, basically, is what Donald Trump said. Uh, we've heard now that we, we talked yesterday about the fact that Suffolk County Police Department uh, condemned the president's remarks, distanced himself, said that is not at all police uh, department uh, uh, policy. Don't uh, be too nice. There he is, yeah. Uh, and police departments around the country have said that. Yesterday, uh, even more feedback, the uh, acting head of the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, put out a statement to all of their um, Um, agents around the country uh, telling them in very blunt terms to disregard entirely what the president said about police behavior or police uh, excusing or inviting police brutality. He said it was wrong. Uh, We have an, I write to you, he said, his name is Chuck Rosenberg acting head of the uh, DEA, wrote to his agents, quote, I write because we have an obligation to speak out when something is wrong. That's what law enforcement officers do, re- repudiating the president of the United States, whom he works for. He was held over from the Obama administration, Rosenberg was, but not, not, it was not only Rosenberg we heard from yesterday- Uh, Without saying he was repudiating the president directly, Attorney General Jeff Sessions uh, yesterday giving a speech, I believe, down in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, Spoke to this issue of uh, proper police behavior.
5: Just as I'm committed to defending law enforcement, who lawfully have to use deadly force to defend themselves while engaged in their work, I will also use the powers of the office I've been entrusted with to hold any officer responsible who violates the law. You know that all it takes is for one bad officer to destroy the reputations of so many who work every day to build good relationships in these communities.
1: So that was a. There was a little payback on the part of Jeff Sessions, maybe. He didn't mention the president's name, but in essence, in essence, he was saying, don't pay any attention to what Donald Trump said. Uh, no. By the way, we know also that uh, uh, you know, that was the, when the Suffolk County Police Department uh, put uh, put out a statement as early as Friday afternoon, by the way. <laughs> maybe, maybe before the president's plane had even landed in Washington, <laughs> they put out a statement saying, uh-uh, we disagree with the president on that. And as we pointed out, that was the second group in a week. The Boy Scouts earlier had put out a statement apologizing for the president's remarks to the uh, Jamboree out in, uh, Scout Jamboree out in West Virginia. Um, Donald Trump uh, told the Wall Street Journal yesterday in a little interview uh, that actually he got a call from the head of the Boy Scouts who told him that his speech was the greatest speech that had ever been delivered. To any group of Boy Scouts in history. Now, who do you believe on this? The Scouts put out a statement saying, uh, "We're sorry that we invited him, and we disassociate ourselves from any of his political remarks and his ugliness." And Donald Trump saying, "Nope, they told me it was the greatest speech ever." And
3: then, and then and then the the Boy Scouts said yesterday that phone call never happened. He said he got a phone call from one yeah, of the boy yeah. scouts saying it was the greatest speech ever and someone asked the boy scouts they go no we never talked to him. So he's lying. He's lying. It never happened. They said that the call did not happen. Sounds yeah. a little bit like the inauguration numbers in
6: the National yeah. Park Service, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, and it's also like why yeah. lie about that? Of that of all things. Yeah. Yeah
6: because he never had a proper childhood if we're being honest it's my whole michael jackson theory with donald trump it's this is why he acts the way he does
1: right. <laughs> you're starting to sound a little like sarah sanders here <laughs> please no <laughs> uh there was sarah said something else about oh the uh, um <laughs> The, the the oh yeah the cops on the cops thing I know yeah she she repeated again yesterday this was don't, don't get we're taking this too seriously
4: it wasn't a directive it was he a joke there's a very big surprise. difference
1: it's a joke you guys don't have a sense of humor you know I watched that tape again yesterday of Donald Trump he was not joking of course he wasn't joking he is not joking what? he didn't chuckle he did first of all if it were a joke it's a very bad joke you don't go there right but if you'd, you you watch that statement he was not joking. <coughs> on to say don't put your hand up here right he was not joking there was no smile there was no chuckle there was no i'm just kidding look guys, no
3: look look donald trump is not a well man he he's, he does not have a fully functioning brain he doesn't and so he's going to say things sometimes that make no sense that are out of line and not appropriate and the white house has already fallen on this defense of saying Oh, he was joking. <laughs> yeah, they've used that a couple of times. Remember Spicer when yeah. he stood up Come there? Come on, and lighten said, up. I forgot what the tweet was in particular, but he says you can you can take his tweets as official statements unless he's joking. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. What does right. that mean? He like, don't United hit States. their head and they've just killed somebody. Don't hit their head.
5: I said you can take the hand away. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah.
3: yeah. Shaky Trump over here with the <laughs> jokes. <laughs>
1: Hey, something big is happening on health care. It looks like it may happen at any rate. Uh, a little bit of positive news out of Capitol Hill. We've been talking about all the bad news lately when it comes to health care. Actually, good news for those of us who believe that Obamacare uh, should be fixed and not repealed. Uh, and re- Senate Republicans yesterday uh, have finally come to that same realization, uh, which, again, is another repudiation of Donald Trump. They finally have just basically said, hey, Mr. President, we don't care. What you say. We don't we don't care about your threats. We don't care about your tweets. We don't care about all your rants that we gotta do we gotta go back and we gotta start all over again and we gotta vote for something, and Mick Mulvaney saying on behalf of the president, and Tom Price saying on behalf of the president, Republicans in the Senate can't do anything else. No, no, no. They have to keep working on this health care thing until they pass a repeal bill. Senate Republicans have officially now said no way, no freaking way. We are done with healthcare for now, at least in the way you want to do it. And they are actually talking now. Lamar Alexander, who's the pretty pretty well-respected chair of the Senate Health Committee, has said starting in September they're going to hold. He and Patty Murray from Washington, Democrat, made the announcement. In September they're going to start holding bipartisan hearings on how to. Fix Obamacare, how to stabilize the insurance market, how to make sure that people, that we fix the problems that exist with Obamacare, but make sure that people do not lose the health insurance that they now have for the first time for themselves and their families, first time in their lives. Uh, they're going to st- start that process. And in the meantime, they're going to do nothing, nothing, nothing to repeal Obamacare. And both of them and other senators. Begged the White House, begged Donald Trump not to follow through with his threat to yank the subsidies uh, that now uh, go to s- uh, insurance companies in order to provide uh, lower cost, full coverage health care to people who otherwise couldn't afford it. Uh, some senators that you might not have expected, John Thune uh, yesterday, very, real conservative, a vote for Donald Trump on every issue, says, no, 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 now. Our main thing is to make sure that the insurance market, which is now Obamacare, stays stable.
2: Well, I just think right now the important thing is to make sure there's stability in the marketplace. And so I hope the president will continue to make those payments until such time as we have an opportunity to pass something that uh, repeals the, the law and replaces it with something better
1: continue to make those payments, continue to keep the law going as it is until, he says, way down the road, maybe they'll come up with something better. Maybe, maybe. And Aaron Hatch, surprise, surprise, says, come on, repeal? Let's just stop talking about it.
2: As far as repeal, who cares it's about words? Who cares? What's important is if we can get, get health care right in this country or at least semi-right where both sides can agree on it, that would be a real
5: wonderful thing.
1: How long have we been saying the same thing? The way to go is for both sides to sit down and talk about what's wrong with Obamacare and how to fix it. Now you even have Arne Hatch saying that is the way to go. And the greatest surprise of all, by the way, there's a real uh, issue here. And I, I, I think it's unfortunate that the Senate's not going to start hearings in August because they, there's not a, time lot, a lot of, not a lot of time left. September 27, keep that date in mind, that's the deadline for the insurance companies to tell us what plans they're going to offer for, where are we, 2018, and what states they're going to offer them in. And so with all this uncertainty now about are we going to repeal Obamacare or not, are we going to keep it? If we keep it, are those subsidies still going to be available? Will there still be the mandate? Uh, all those questions have to be resolved or the insurance companies won't know what the hell to do. And we won't know what's available. The deadline is September 27th. So there's a real, real-world uh, urgency here for them if they're going to do this uh, to get something Right. But again, in all of that context, the greatest surprise of all yesterday uh, in terms of comments on health care came from uh, Mitch McConnell. How long have we heard, how many times have we heard uh, the president say, uh, well, we could, we could have done health care except for the Democrats. They were such obstructionists. It's all the Democrats' fault, such obstructionists. The last time I was on CNN, Friday, Saturday, whenever it was, uh, this, whoever this person was, I don't want to be too cruel, alongside me said the same thing. No, well, it's the Democrats' fault. We've got this done if it weren't for the Democrats. And by the way, Mitch McConnell has said that many, many times, right? Yesterday, he finally fessed up.
2: I mean, it's pretty obvious that our problem with health care was not the Democrats. Um, We we didn't have 50 Republicans.
1: (laughs) You know, good for you, Mitch. I guess. Yeah, but where the hell have you been? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, come on. Took him long enough
3: to get there. That's accepting defeat, right?
1: It is accepting defeat. Yeah. It's also accepting reality and the fact that people just weren't believing his lie anymore. You just can't blame it on the Democrats when they rigged the system. They rigged it, rigged the elections. all they needed was 50 votes, and they couldn't even get 50 Republicans. It is worth pointing out that this is the second time in this week uh, that the Republicans have told Donald Trump... You know what? You can go fly a kite. Russian sanctions, Donald Trump didn't want them. The the Senate and the House overwhelmingly voted to uh, toughen up the sanctions on Russia. That bill is now sitting on the president's desk. He hasn't signed it yet. Uh, he's got a big decision to make. I think he's got to sign it. Mike Pence says he's going to sign it. Donald Trump hasn't said beans about it. So the Senate, uh, the Senate Republicans said on Russian sanctions... Mr. President, we don't care what you think. We're going to do what we want. And now on healthcare, they have also said to Donald Trump, "Go fly a kite." We're going to go a different way. We're not going to uh, try to this to, to to do your repeal plan. That's pretty significant.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, look, whether they actually commit to this and make something happen, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. I don't trust it yet, but the fact that there are so many that are open to it, it's a good sign.
6: By the way, Rex Tillerson gave his first. State Department, briefing oh my yesterday. Very first briefing yeah. very in first.
1: seven months. That's amazing. Uh, right. and,
6: and he and Trump are not happy about the Russia sanctions, according to him.
1: Neither the president nor I are very happy about that. Uh, we were clear that we didn't think it was going to be helpful to our efforts. But that's the decision they made. They made it in a very overwhelming way. But it's also worth pointing out, by the way, uh, that at that briefing yesterday, of the very first one, Rex Tillerson said, we are open... To sit down, uh, and we talked about this yesterday with Medea Benjamin from Code Pink, uh, the fact that the United States has not shown any interest in talks. Tillerson yesterday actually said, we are open to sitting down with Kim Jong-un of North Korea one-on-one. He didn't talk about uh, uh, talks involving China and Japan and South Korea. By the way, I think all those parties should be involved. But for the first time, I think the first time ever, the United States, through Rex Tillerson yesterday, said, we're ready to sit down one-on-one with the leader of North Korea to try to resolve uh, this issue. I'm not sure Donald Trump would have said this. Actually, he did say he'd, he'd be willing to meet with Kim Jong-un Yeah. Sometime back, didn't he? Yeah. So, um, I don't Maybe they are. Maybe they are on the same page when it comes to that. Uh, and finally, we must... Uh, point out that uh, um, John Kelly, General John Kelly, he's uh, finished one day on the job as the new chief of staff, and he is still on the job. He <laughs> he has not been fired yet. He got through one day. Uh, and uh, yesterday, uh, President Trump did indicate, though, however, he is very, very fond of General Kelly. He says he's going to be the best General Kelly's going to be the best chief of staff ever. Uh, but Donald Trump, Donald Trump did say, i got to get Jamie's attention, Donald Trump did say there's one thing, however, that John Kelly, chief of staff, hasn't fixed yet.
5: I keep telling General Kelly, General, come on, let's go, you're chief of staff. They don't talk about the all-time high stock market.
1: Yeah, come on, <laughs> Kelly, what are you doing? How come they're not talking about the all-time high stock market? Uh, well, well, what he was talking about is yesterday the Dow did close at an all-time record high, almost twenty-two thousand, twenty-one I'd say no credit to Donald Trump. Yeah, thanks, Obama. Yeah, indeed. Thanks, Obama. Right. Citizens United, it is still uh, one of the biggest obstacles out there to any decent flow of our democracy. Um, what about an amendment to the Constitution, the 28th Amendment? A lot of people are talking about it, including Jeff Clements, who's president of American Promise uh, and leading the charge for a 28th Amendment. He joins us next. I mean, it's pretty obvious that our problem with health care was not the Democrats'.
2: Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash thebillpressshow.
1: Here we go now on this Wednesday, August 2nd. Again, uh, looking at you and joining you nationwide on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show and on Free Speech TV. Good to have you with us. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America, the good men and women of the Laborers Union under President Terry O'Sullivan. Building a Better America, that's their website, liunabuildsamerica.org, L-I-U-N-A. Check it out. We thank them for their support of the program. Uh, Yes, indeed. Um, Maybe the most important issue of all, underlying all other issues, is the issue of campaign finance reform. Uh, It's never going to happen until we get rid of Citizens United. We've talked about that many times. Jeff Clements is a former Assistant Attorney General of the State of Massachusetts, now heading an organization called American Promise, uh, aimed at getting rid of an overturning Citizens United. Hey, Jeff, good to see you. Good to see you, Bill. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for coming in. Where is where is this? I know last year some people were talking about even a constitutional amendment. Bernie Sanders supported that. Where does that stand today?
6: It's actually making a lot more progress, I think, than uh, than many people realize. You know, the amendment was first introduced. To, uh, by Donna Edwards, actually, about two weeks oh, after right? the Citizens United decision yeah. came down in 2010. Wow! And uh, Great she trend. recognized, yeah, terrific, and uh, uh, you know had the vision to recognize what was going to happen to our democracy if we did not <laughs> get a constitutional amendment, that, which is the way you can reverse the Supreme mm-hmm. Court when they make a catastrophically bad ruling like the yes. Citizens United decision. And since then. It has really uh, taken (laughs) off around the country. Nineteen states have passed formal resolutions calling on Congress. The most recent was Nevada, just uh, last month. Wow. And uh, 800 cities and towns have passed resolutions. It's making progress in Congress. Senator Tom Udall leading the charge in the Senate, over 40 senators co-sponsoring. And in the House, Jamie Raskin and Ted Deutsch and Mm -hmm. Jim McGovern are leading the charge and have over 100 co-sponsors. So this is for real. The Americans... American people want this to happen. Congress is starting to hear that. And I think, you know, the next, uh, chips to fall will be the Republicans coming on board. Walter Jones in North Carolina is on board the amendment, but they're going to wake up one day and realize 75 to 80% of their constituents want this amendment to happen. And I think, uh, we're, uh, we're within a, uh, we're within sight of the finish line here. It's going to be a big lift, but it's, uh, Really, something that needs to happen.
1: I, I saw that yesterday that Adam Schiff is also uh, uh, from California uh, introduced his own resolution. Or
7: yes, or uh,
6: am- yes, indeed. So, what what happens with the amendment? Uh, to to win a constitutional amendment, we have twenty seven of them. Congress needs to get it out. You need two thirds of Congress. Two then, thirds of each house. Uh, two thirds of each house. President doesn't have a role with an mm. amendment. It doesn't need to sign it. Can't sign it. It goes uh, two thirds of Congress, and then it gets ratified mm. by thirty eight states. So we're in a healthy process now where there's three, four different versions of the amendment all trying to get at the right answer, uh, which is a way for we the people to get big money out of our politics so that we the people are represented rather than the corporations and big donors. The, and uh, Adam Schiff has put in an excellent amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be in in the debate in, and we'll get resolution and, and, uh, and consensus around one good strong amendment soon, uh, I think.
1: Now, um, so you've given up on Congress. is that uh, that's the other way to go, right? For,
6: well no, we are going through Congress for the amendment. For, uh, uh, but so, Congress
1: could overturn citizens, citizens united, couldn't they? Or?
6: Uh, not on their own. no uh, So when, when the Supreme Court decide, interprets the Constitution wrongly, so for example, oh, okay. the Supreme Court yeah. decided yeah. women have no right to vote. The right. Supreme Court decided the catastrophic Dred Scott decision, which plunged the country into civil war. The Supreme Court ruled that we can't have a progressive income tax. When the Supreme Court decides the Constitution means something that the American people know it can't mean or the American experiment is over, we have to amend the Constitution to correct them. If Congress tries to do it, the Supreme Court will just strike down the law again. So the amendment process is what the founders set up for we the people to be the last word on what the Constitution means. So seven times we've overturned the court, including getting women the right to vote and many others. This will be the eighth time,
1: and when um, how this is this is a long process, right? I mean,
6: well, yeah, yeah. as everyone yeah. knows, um, you know, Congress can't agree on when to go to lunch, <laughs> and we need yeah. two thirds of them <laughs> to right. pass a good, sound amendment, and so it is a long process. But uh,
1: what, what if Congress were to act right once? I just uh, I, it's a long time since I've looked up this process. Uh, how long would the states have to ratify?
6: Yeah. So it's, and, and you're not the only one, Bill. Uh, this is uh, this is we the beauty done this, of this right, effort in our lifetime. We fortunately, last? we don't have to do it all the time, but we would have yeah. to do it now. The last one. Well, there's, a, there's sort of two answers to that. Okay. The, the last major one that started from scratch, got through Congress, ratified by 38 states was how 18, 19 and 20 year olds vote. It was the right to vote if you're over 18. It happened in 1971 when young men were being drafted, hmm. sent to yeah. a, a, a war in Vietnam and they had no right to vote. The American people recognize that can't be the case. And again, the Supreme Court said, no, no right to vote for 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, even though they're fighting in the armed services, passed a constitutional amendment. That was the 26th. There was actually a, a strange one in 1990, uh, in the 1990s that James Madison first proposed. It's, it's not actually strange in, in what it means. It says Congress can't raise their own salary and it won't take effect till they go back to the people for an election. That mm. kicked around, mm-hmm. in answer to your question of how long to ratify, that kicked right. around for nearly 200 years. No, And an uh, really? interesting yeah. story, a University huh. of Texas student discovered, hey, there's only six more states that need to ratify <laughs> this. Let's get oh. it done. And they got it done.
1: So. All right, so would there be a constitutional convention? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, now, Because the argument that I've always heard against ratifying the Constitution, or amending the Constitution, rather, is... You open up the can of worms. Yeah, and, and everything's uh, up for grabs.
6: Yeah, right. and and people worry about that, but I, I think they sh- they can set those worries aside. And here's why, um, w- Article Five of the Constitution is how we amend the Constitution, and there's there's two ways to get it out to the states for ratification. So we'll need 38 states to ratify it through their state mm-hmm. legislatures. But first, we need it proposed. The way you propose it is two thirds of Congress, or The framers realize sometimes Congress might not be able to do it. Mm -hmm. We might need a convention called by two-thirds of the states. But here's why we don't need to worry about any kind of of out-of-control process. The amendment process is a a long, thorough process. You don't get an amendment without the American people having a consensus about it needing to happen. We've never had a convention. All 27 Mm -hmm. amendments have gone through Congress out to the states. Now... Some people are pushing for a convention. That has been done to pressure Congress. Because Congress has those same fears. What will happen at a convention? The yeah. last one we had was Philadelphia. <laughs> they came out with a whole new constitution. It was a good one, fortunately. Yeah, right. We're still working on it, we but it's a good one. About that, yeah. But, but, but nobody anything wants a convention. Anything could have happened, right? But it's sort yeah. of the uh, doomsday right. device to get Congress to get off its uh, you know, off the off the cuff here and get and get the amendment done. So Uh, A couple of states have called for a convention on Citizens United. Mm -hmm. Um, They say that it's limited to that amendment. Uh, But I think the real point of that is to pressure Congress. That's how we got senators to be elected, the 17th Amendment. There were a couple states short of a convention call. Congress got it done.
1: Remind us again and remind all of our listeners and viewers again why this Citizens United – is such a, such a threat to our democracy.
6: Yeah, it's, and it, I think people need to realize, I think we do realize, it's not, it's, it's, anyone who's paying attention realizes this, it's not just about campaign finance and wonkery, it's really about the fundamental American promise that people are equal citizens. We may not be equal in wealth, we may not be equal in material goods, but we are equal citizens in America. Citizens United literally denies that, as a lawyer, I filed a brief in the case. If Mm -hmm. if I went to the Supreme Court and tried to argue, we have to be able to limit the concentration of money in our elections so we all have representation because we are equal, that would be denied. They deny that political equality is a basis for regulating money in politics. That means, essentially, the great American uh, fight for... democracy instead of aristocracy, instead of oligarchy, which is what our revolution was all about, is on the line. The Supreme Court Citizens United decision says if you have more money, you have a right and no American can stop you from corrupting the process by putting millions of dollars in, to buy senators, buy Congress, buy policy, and we can look all around and we see that's exactly what's happening. And
1: not just individuals, but corporations, right? Corporations. You've written a book on the corporations. Global corporations. Corporations are not people, Mr. Romney. That's right?
6: right. That's right. The Supreme Court said it doesn't matter if it's a corporation or a human being. Global corporations have trillions of dollars. We're just beginning to see... The effects of this. If we don't overturn this decision, it gets worse and worse and worse.
1: How uh, and of course, well, as long as John Roberts is on the court, I, there, there'll be no hope that the court would reverse itself. Exactly. Either, right.
6: Therefore, the amendment process is, the, is what we need to do. This is so
1: important, um, and I'm, I'm, it's exciting to know that so many states are on on board, so many cities, and so many members of Congress, both the House and the Senate. Uh, all, all of our listeners, viewers, anybody who wants to get involved in this, show their support, be part of the movement, how do they do so?
6: Yeah, I hope, they, I hope they will. It's how we're going to get it done. And the way to do that, to help this fight, is to go to AmericanPromise.net. That's all one word, AmericanPromise.net as a mm-hmm. network, a network right. of American citizens working together, cross partisan lines, doing whatever it takes to win this amendment.
1: Okay. Um, You've got it. It's AmericanPromise.net. Jeff Clements, thanks so much. Great to see you. Great Thank to you. meet you. All right. Thank All right. you, Bill. Good we'll to see be you again with you. Soon. Appreciate it. And we're going to take a quick break and then be talking to the mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, uh, and find out uh, where the Louisville stands and the mayor stands on uh, many other uh, many issues. Uh, and by the way, uh, the attorney general was down in the South uh, yesterday, down in Atlanta. Uh, And was talking about, among other issues, um, police brutality. We remember the president, his comments on police brutality last Friday, roundly condemned by police departments all across the land, saying, no, 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 we do not encourage our officers to rough off suspects. The attorney general himself speaking to that yesterday.
5: Just as I'm committed to defending law enforcement who lawfully have to use deadly force to defend themselves while engaged in their work, I will also use the powers of the office I've been entrusted with to hold any officer responsible who violates the law. You know that all it takes is for one bad officer to destroy the reputations of so many who work every day to build good relationships in these communities.
1: That's the attorney general yesterday saying, in effect, I
5: disassociate myself from any
1: remarks by the president, encourage police officers to rough up their suspects. It's an issue that uh, mayors across the land are constantly dealing with, uh, including our guest, Mayor Greg Fisher from the great city of Louisville, Kentucky. Hi, Mr. Mayor. Nice to see you. Good to be with you, Bill. I want you to pronounce the name of your city for me. You did pretty good. It's Louisville. Louisville. Yeah, not bad. Uh, you know, I've never been there. I really want to come down, and uh, but I've always, I've always loved Louisville just because I love hearing people say it. Well, come on down. Some people find it easier to say after they have a couple of bourbons, which you know, there's a lot of <laughs> in Louisville, and Kentucky. Well, you know, one of our best friends is Congressman John Yarmuth. Yes. Uh, who is head of the Bourbon Caucus? Yes, <laughs> which is a great bipartisan effort here. It's a good model for D.C. Right. What what did you, what did you think when you hear the president say to to police officers? You know, come on, don't be too nice to these people you're arresting. Well, it, it's just so different from the reality of the street
7: that we have to deal with. You know, police community relations are the number one thing of any mayor's got to be concerned with. You know, we've forgotten somewhat in our series of civil unrest riots that we went through in the post-Ferguson world with all of the kind of a drama that's been in Washington D.C. But you know, the last one was in October in Charlotte, and a lot of that is when police community relations. Deteriorate. I mean, they signal a disconnection and hopelessness from the street. But, you know, we have something called the Constitution, and that's really what the role of the police agency is, is to uphold the Constitution.
1: One thing that I see, Mr. Mayor, is— so I used to work for uh, Governor Jerry Brown this first time around. Okay. Uh, and on climate change, for example, you know, Donald Trump says, no, we're going to get out of Paris and we're going to forget about this climate change. Jerry Brown is saying, oh, no, we're not. You know, state by state by state, we're going to continue to do the right thing. The leadership, it seems to me, people are looking now more to governors and to mayors in this era of Trump uh, to continue with the right policies. Uh, do you? How do you see that in for, for, for your city? Well, there's no question about that. When you ask people what elected
7: officials make the biggest difference in their life, it's usually the president of the United States and my mayor. Because, really? of, yeah. because of the proximity to the reality sure. of what's going on at the city level. Mm-hmm. And that's what most people are, are dealing with. They, they'd like the federal government to operate smoothly, but most people are just trying to get by. They're trying to make a living. So uh, that's where the action's at. You know, when it comes to climate change, for instance, too, I'm really proud of the mayors of the country. Some almost 300 folks said, we're going to continue ahead with the Paris Accord. You know, because we know clean air, clean water is what? It's good for business. You know, if if you're a serious employer, and you're not responsible from an environmental standpoint, you're not
1: going to get top talent. So
7: mayors are proud to stand with the Accord and continue good environmental practices.
1: Uh, and you do that despite what wh- wherever the White House goes, wherever the, the 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 Trump administration goes, right?
7: Well, so much uh, of that's not meaningful to us, and on, on the kind of the daily routine of how you build a great city. Right. Uh, how about the issue of sanctuary cities? Is Louisville a sanctuary city? No, we don't use that term. I mean. When you go in and try to see what a sanctuary city is, there's no definition for that. We're a welcoming city, is what we call ourselves. We're a growing international city. Uh, we, if someone is arrested, and we do a records check, if some, if there is a problem with that, we uh, notify the appropriate authorities, as we would if someone was uh, native born as well. But
1: uh, we're a very broad, welcoming, glo- growing global city. One of the is- one of the way uh, the areas in which Kentucky. Um, was leading the nation, actually, with the Connect uh, and the state, your state exchange uh, under, uh, under Obamacare. Uh, so I know how important this issue is to the residents of Kentucky, I'm sure to, to the members of, uh, residents of your community as well, or your city as well. What is Kentucky doing now? Here's, here's another situation where the agenda for the Trump administration is to repeal Obamacare and, and replace it with, so far, nothing. Uh, how's Kentucky doing? Well, we since
7: uh, we passed Connect through former Governor Bashir. we have a new governor from a different uh, political party, Governor Matt Bevin, from Republican Party. So he's taken kind of a Trumpian approach toward health care. But I think what both President Trump are seeing and Governor Bevin are seeing is it's not a real popular move to be taking away people's health care. Yeah, over right. half a million Kentuckians received health care. result resolved the Affordable Care Act. Hundred thousand Louisvillians. As well. Under Connect. Un- right. Yes. So, uh, which is the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. Obamacare, what yeah. have you. Uh, now, it's funny, when you call it Obamacare, it wasn't very popular in Kentucky. When you <laughs> called it, call it Connect, all of a sudden it became popular, although Obamacare is real popular now with everybody. Well, that's
1: so, one thing that Trump has accomplished, he has, or the Republicans have. They've suddenly made Obamacare popular. You right? know, but, but dynamic shift, too. The, one of the big issues in the
7: country in the last two years, especially in the eastern United States, is this increase in, in the use of opioids and addictions. Uh, what Medicaid, what the Affordable Care Act has done in terms of treatment for opioid addiction is hugely important to the cities of America. And you saw that play out in the whole health care debate over the past couple of weeks. So it is critical that no matter what direction we go with health care, uh, we need to not just keep the coverage we have but extend the coverage. And I tell you, Bill, to me, this is really symptomatic of Washington, D.C. We're talking about the wrong thing. We're talking about all these policy issues. We should be talking about cost here. So I'm a business person. As you know, we spend 18% of our GDP as a country mm-hmm. on health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United Kingdom, 8%. Germany, 10%. And they have universal coverage. So what we should be talking about is rationalizing costs so we can get out redundancy in this so we can cover everybody in the country and then have money left over. That's really where the conversation should be.
1: Uh, is that an argument for single-payer?
7: Well, they're certainly trending that way. Uh, You know, you take a look at the VA system. Humana is headquartered in Louisville. They're big in the Mm -hmm. government uh, system as well. So, uh, you know, we're having to think through uh, in our country a lot of these issues and with the inability in D.C. for us to come together on regular order and kind of work these things as problems. So hopefully that will take place, you saw with Senator Lamar Alexander announced yesterday with Patty Murray saying, this is how we should be doing business. These are big, hairy problems, whether it's health care, education, welfare, whatever. Why don't we have an adult conversation about it? Because the reality is at the city level, we deal with the consequences of all this every day. Uh, we're not waiting for help from Washington, but it would be nice to see some rational business taking place here.
1: Isn't it um, it's almost surprising? These people like Arne Hatch has been around a long time. Patty Murray's been around a long time. So is Mitch McConnell. That you would think that this is where they, with a, an issue like healthcare, this is where they would have started, right? Yeah. Saying, all right, obviously. The system is not perfect, right? Let's just sit down and figure out where the problems are and how we can make this system work better in a bipartisan way. They would have been way ahead of the game by now if they'd started that
7: way. Well, you're right, and you know that's how mayors naturally you have to act, right? Because you know we ha- we deal with reality. Yeah, you know we <laughs> yeah. might wish things weren't a certain way, but we have to deal with the way that yeah. they are. So when we get together at the United States Conference of Mayors or on this trip here to D.C., it's like what's happening? How are we going to deal with it? People don't have time for theories. Most folks are just struggling to get by. It doesn't matter if they're in a city. It doesn't matter if they're in a county, in a rural area, urban area. They say, can you take care of these obstacles for me so I can
1: have a better life for me and my kids? Right. What are you, you, how long have you been uh, mayor there in Louisville? Six and a half years. Six and a half years. So you've been reelected? Right. re-elected and running for a third and final term. Is that right? All right. Good for you. You must be
7: doing something, right? Well, I'm, I'm, so, so I'm a, a business guy that just happens to be mayor, as I say. And to be a good mayor, you have to have, have the head of a chief executive officer and the heart of a social worker.
1: I mean, it takes it both. That's good. Yeah, that's a good way to put it and a good combination. So what, are your, what, what do you find with the people there, and I'm sure it's true across the nation, are the you know, most important issues that you're facing, the biggest challenges that you've got as mayor? Well,
7: it's always public safety, jobs, education, healthcare is now a big part of the debate as well. Fortunately, our economy is rolling very well. Uh, education uh, achievements were at all time high. So we're doing great in the macro picture. But the question for cities like Louisville and for the whole country is how is everybody doing? Does everybody feel like they've got an on ramp t- to success in today's world? And the dynamics have changed so dramatically in terms of speed, rapidly changing global technology based world versus what was 20 or 30 years ago. And so the ability for a big portion of our population, whether it's in cities or in our rural areas, to feel connected and hopeful for the future is really being strained right now. And so that leads to lack of social mobility, it leads to inequality in terms of wealth and income. These are the big issues of the day that are stretching our country. And I referred previously Mm -hmm. to the civil unrest and the riots that were taking place post-Ferguson, those were precipitated by an officer-involved shooting. But what the street was saying was, I feel hopeless and disconnected. What happened in the last election with uh, President Trump? Our rural areas were saying, I feel hopeless and disconnected. So there's common ground between those two areas that look at each other right now and say, I don't have anything in common with the urban poor or the rural poor. We're concerned about the same thing. So when you put on your optimistic hat, you know, if we can come up with the country as a way to figure out how to upskill everybody, how to get decent wages and health care in every, in every household, we've got a real shot. It's amazing how well we do as
1: a country with all of these problems that we talk about every day. Right. Do you find it hard to, um, uh, to, to operate as a Democratic mayor in a red state? No, I mean, what you're seeing in 30-plus states now, Bill, is you're seeing red
7: states with blue cities. So And the blue cities are getting even bluer. Uh, You know, 90% of the people live in cities, 95% of the GDP growth comes from cities. So cities are where it's happening. But you also, like in a state like Kentucky, our partnership with our rural areas is very important. We do that through local food. We do that through something, you're going to think I'm joking here, called bourbonism, which is (laughs) bourbon travel. You know, people go to Napa Valley for wine. So now they're flooding by the millions to Louisville and Kentucky to be bourbon tourism. So what that does, it connects the food Culture, the agricultural cultural agricultural traditions of the rural areas with the city. So those partnerships are important because nobody's <laughs> going to win this game in America if we if we keep dividing rural, urban, black, white, Muslim, Christian. Cities are able to pull that
1: together and then partner with our rural areas so everybody's got to feel like they got a path forward. Uh, and do you find uh, Mitch McConnell's uh, open to that uh, approach? You're a senior senator. Well, he's got a different set of issues he's working on.
7: <laughs> uh, you know, what we do see, you know, from a mayor's perspective, the, the more that you move up to, let's say, the, the state capitol, uh, Congress, U.S. Senate, the more removed people get from reality. Uh, now, your con- congressional delegation is pretty close to yeah. the action. Right. But as a U.S. senator, you don't get your hands very dirty with what the real problems are of your constituents and many of them you know they float around in bubbles that are protected and designed to keep people away from them you got to
1: know what reality is to make good politics that's a very Kentucky gentle way of answering that question Mr. Mayor it's great to see you thanks all so right, much Bill. for all the good work good luck in your third uh, third attempt here third time hope it works um Mayor Greg Fisher from Louisville Kentucky I right, we'll say this okay. is the Bill Press Show Yes, the White House says the president lied uh, on his son's behalf, but, you know, wouldn't any daddy do the same thing for his son? Maybe not. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It is Wednesday, August 2nd. Hello, hello. Great to see you today. This is the Bill Press Show. That's me, and we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, booming out to you coast to coast uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV and joining you out in the Chicago area on the great WCPT. Hello, Chicago. Hello to you all. Thank you for joining us. Lots to talk about today from our nation's capital uh, with, uh, yes, the White House saying, yep, Donald Trump did write that statement for his son, but any daddy would have done, done the same thing and told the same lie. Senate Republicans finally telling the White House, no, nope, we're not going to play your game anymore. We're going to try to sit down with Democrats and actually figure out a bipartisan uh solution to uh health care uh and a Senator from New Jersey, Cory Booker, has said he thinks that pot ought to be recreational pot if you will, legal in all fifty states. We've got so much to talk about. we need always need help with friends, and we've got uh a great uh friend in today, a democratic strategist, former. Uh, state senator from the state of Ohio, Capri Cafaro. Hi, Capri. Nice hey, to how see are you? you.
0: Absolutely, I cannot right. tell you how excited I am to be here.
1: Well, I can see you prepared to, to, for today too by bringing in your Red Bull.
0: Indeed, Breakfast of Champions. <laughs> after, after, this was always my my early morning committee drink, and when I was minority leader uh you know these things would multiply so
3: (laughs) bill's already had six we had to peel them off of the ceiling uh (laughs) uh, during the break well i
0: gotta tell you bill because i have been on this program before but not with you in the chair and I religiously watched you on Crossfire
1: oh, with Bob Novak. So, yeah, and Tucker. indeed, oh, the great Bob Novak and Pat and uh, Pat and Buchanan Cannon. That's right. and Tucker Carlson. Well, thank you. Well, here we go. So you and I will do a little Crossfire here. Yeah, Uh-oh. we'll from get right into from the, uh, uh, from the left and from the left, from the left and from the left. And all of you joining us, we look forward to getting your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first. <laughs> This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories
3: making news. Yes, indeed. You know who I feel bad for here Uh, in America? Uh, White people. White people. Come on, let's really talk about the real victims here in America. White people. people. I'm talking about a story out of the Justice Department. I'm going to read directly from the New York Times. Quote, the Trump administration is preparing to redirect resources of the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division towards investigating and suing universities over affirmative action admission policies deemed to discriminate against white applicants, according to a document obtained by the New York Times. In other words, they are looking to bring on new lawyers who will work on a new project on, quote, investigations and possible litigation related to intentional race based discrimination in colleges and university
1: admissions. Wait a minute. Remember, why are you surprised? This is the Justice Department headed by number one racist Jeff Sessions. Jefferson Beauregard, Beauregard Sessions. Sessions. right. Yeah. yeah.
3: So, mm-hmm. like...
1: Who said the Voting Rights Act was a disruptive piece of legislation and we didn't need it? Right. Yeah. Right.
3: Yeah, not anymore. Uh, yesterday, the Senate overwhelmingly confirmed the new <laughs> head of the FBI, Christopher Ray. He replaces, of course, James Comey, who was fired... By Donald Trump, the vote was ninety-two to five for Christopher Ray. So we now have a new leader. Do we America. know who voted against him? You know what? I was the, about to a look ha- it up. handful
0: of Democrats. Yeah, was it sure. was all. It was a handful mm-hmm. of Democrats. I'm not both sure. Be, both both senators from Oregon. I know that.
3: Oh, good for them.
0: Yeah, both senators. And I'm trying to think who else. But look off the top. Oh, uh, Joe Manchin. I think. Well, excuse did. me. Almost, almost excuse me, Madam. Is I'm pretty right? sure Joe Manchin and um, I, I'm I'm blanking on the others, but I know both from Oregon. I remember that being a big deal yesterday. So,
3: uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Elizabeth Warren, Ed Markey, Ron Wyden, and Jeff Merkel. Oh, that's those right. Are, okay, those, Sorry. Are, those are who voted against. I just found it in, in, in the story. But, like, look, if Donald Trump thinks he's the right guy to lead the FBI, I'm skeptical. Right. I'm not saying I'm an automatic no, because the guy has a pretty good track record, but, like, it's a no for me.
1: It's a good vote for those five to vote, and a courageous vote for them to vote against it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: On your radio, on TV, and
1: online, this is The Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Wednesday, August 2nd. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us, or thanks for sticking with us if you were here for the first hour of the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Here is a friend of Bill for this entire hour, Capri Cafaro, former uh, U.S., I wish it were U.S., state senator from Ohio. For the promotion. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Uh, and Democratic strategist. We will be joined by a senior White House correspondent for Bloomberg News, Margaret Talov, at the, uh, at the half hour. Hi, Capri. It's nice to see you. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. So um, you, you said about people we should be feel sorry for, it, Peter. Um, how about Anthony Scaramucci? I mean, look, the oh, guy. Oh, the poor Mooch. I know, the Mooch. He lost his business, sold his business to get a job in the White House. He dumped his wife, or she dumped him, more likely, right? Yeah. And then he gets fired. The ultimate insult, for and, Washington. and
0: then and then Harvard Law it, the Harvard alumni Law. yes reported him as deceased. Yeah, and dude has been having a bad week.
1: And the list that just came out yesterday uh, among alumni, he's reported as the late Anthony Scamucci. Scherzer-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe figuratively, the late Anthony Scamucci. So. Yeah. There's oh, something to
1: that, right? Um, where, where did you? Well, gosh, where do we start? So uh, much I, to talk about. True. What? Is politically, do you think now, where where does Donald Trump stand? 39% in the Rasmussen poll. I mean, that's what got got to be his base and nothing more. Right. right? That's
0: right. I, I mean, you know, and, and I know I think we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the Republicans on Capitol Hill pushing back. And certainly Republicans across the country, governors and, and the like are, you know, trying to distance themselves from from President Trump. It'll be interesting to see what happens with this new chief of staff, um, General Kelly. I I'm really I'm of two minds about this issue because I feel weird about having military personnel inside the White House. So so oh, that, listen,
1: Trump loves his generals. He does love his generals, oh, which yeah, is its own yeah. now.
0: Obviously, we all respect our men and women in uniform. However, um, you know, whether or not this person is, I'm sure, eminently qualified, but in the context of chief of staff, a military person in the White House just makes me a little bit apprehensive. But I, I'm assuming the reason why they put him there partially is, is because there is an assumption, and rightfully so, that the mil- military is one that runs on hierarchy and order, and, you discipline. Know, and Discipline. And um, discipline. Things that this White House has obviously been lacking, even by, you know, the, the Republicans' standards and allies of Donald Trump would tell you the exact same thing. Um, but until they take his Twitter away, I don't really know how that's going to, how that's going to, how it's going to fare. Um, so, you know, it's been a, a really, obviously, very, very um, um, crazy week for the White House, week or two between Spicy, then Reince. <laughs> Then Mooch and then and so every day I think we all wake up, you know, wondering what now?
1: Right. And and and, and the, the, the the difficulty with uh restoring or introducing discipline or order or chain of command into the White House, the difficulty does not lie with Spicer or Reince Priebus or Mooch or anybody else. It lies with Donald, Donald Trump. 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 Absolutely. And so to what extent Donald Trump is going to change? He
0: won't. He won't. I mean, the man is, is 71 years old. And, and, and I have brought this up a number of times um, as I do my political commentary as uh, a Democrat on Fox, which, which I actually really enjoy. But, um, you know, what people need to remember is that Donald Trump, yes, he is a billionaire and all the rest of this and, and has a, you know, uh, has a multinational company or had a multinational company that's now run by his sons. But he is he's never had to answer to anybody but himself. Um, You know, he his name is his brand. He's not even Rex Tillerson that had a board of directors to answer to, Mm -hmm. you -hmm. know, and I think he approaches this whole thing as he thinks. I think he came in thinking, great, Republicans control everything. I'm the CEO of Republicans. I'm going to tell people what to do. Um, And and that's how he has has thought he was going to be able to govern um, quickly realizing that, uh, you know, the framers were smart in their separation of powers. And um, our institutions are being tested to the limit.
1: So when will the Republicans in Congress? We saw a little bit of this yesterday. But, uh,
0: uh, with Jeff Flake.
1: Uh, yeah, with Jeff Flake, okay. But again, so Jeff Flake is now going out saying, oh, this guy, you know, uh, he's out of control, and, and uh, he's not our idea of uh, the way the president should conduct himself. But then Jeff and, I, and other, he said some, some pretty critical things about Donald Trump. At the same time, like last week, Jeff Flake voted for Donald Trump on the health care legislation. He voted to open the debate. He voted to repeal and replace with nothing. He voted for the right. skinny. So these Republicans, some of them are they're they're they say some critical things, but they still follow T- Donald Trump down there. When are they finally going to break with this guy and say, no?
0: I, I think that they're really approaching two things. I mean depending on depending on the member, um you know, I think that mm-hmm. there are Republicans that believe in the and the policies coming out of the White House and I think that's why they were willing To sort of, you know, take the good with the bad with Donald Trump and and be like, okay the guy is going to tweet and he's a loose cannon, whatever. But maybe we have an opportunity to execute this agenda, whether it's the travel ban or, you know, the the repeal and replace, fill in the blank tax reform. Um, So I think that these Republicans own that agenda. They don't want to own the baggage of Donald Trump. And I think they're trying to thread a very small needle.
1: So they'll take the baggage in order to get the agenda. Yeah. That's what Paul Ryan will do.
0: Well, that that's obvious. And, and I mean, I would assume that, you know, and I haven't had any private conversations with with Republicans, uh, with Republican members. But I would assume that there's a lot of grumbling going on behind closed doors being like, dude, mm-hmm. get out of your own way, mm-hmm. <laughs> Trump. Like we need like we have an opportunity to get stuff done. Um, And, you know, every week they have these themes. You know, this week is like, I don't know, the American dream. Last week was made in America. And these are the themes that the people that for my community voted for. But they get lost the second the guy tweets.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. So some Republicans are going along with that. Some Some must be getting, one would hope, some must be getting close to the breaking point. You I sort think so. of saw John McCain get I there I was last just going to say,
0: yeah, you know, I mean, I and I think you know what I really what's really sad to me is that I think a lot of the the newer members, you know, where were the, where are the Alan Simpsons of the world and you yeah. know some of the yeah. the old school guys? I mean, that obviously are are long gone from the institution, but understood the value of the institution, um, and um, the awesome responsibility you have, and um, and putting putting people before party,
1: right. On the Democratic side, we ask this question often of a uh, Democratic guest in studio. Who do you think – who is the leader of the Democratic Party today, and where is the Democratic Party going?
0: Well, I, I last time I was on, I, I sort of waxed poetic all over the place on this. I mean, the Democratic Party, I am of the mindset um, that, um, you know, we have lost our way as far as being able to talk to, you know, our blue-collar Reagan Ds, um, the people, again, that I represented for a decade – um, and um, if we don't come up with a way to um, communicate with those folks um, and lead with our economic message. Now, that doesn't mean that we abandon our, our, our progressive principles having to do with, you know, equality and LGBT and pro-choice and all the things that, you know, immigration, etc. Um, but it means we lead with an economic message. Whom is the leader of the Democratic Party is a much larger and much more complex question. I think we need to look to the states. However, we because we we have no farm team, that's a challenge. I always point to my member of Congress, Tim Ryan, who has been probably one of the more vocal people against Nancy He's great. We love him. We love him. Freak. So he, I mean— Favorite guest of our show. He, I was his constituent and he was mine. We're both Trumbull <laughs> County kids and, um, you know, very much cut from the same cloth, trying to bring some, some order— um, and and some heart back um, to the Democratic Party that you know we grew up with.
1: Right. Um, and have you ever seen? As a, I, mean, I, I mean, like you, I'm not sure there is any one leader of the Democratic Party today. Which, frankly, doesn't bother me because I think there's so much grassroots activity, so much energy on the part of, right? You but know, how do we harness it? Emily's List and MoveOn.org and Our Our Revolution. I mean, they're all just. They're, they're doing great things. These town halls, the protests at the at the yeah, U.S. Capitol last week, indivisible, yeah, with the town. Uh, so, how do we harness it there? I don't know. They're doing a pretty good job on their own. Yeah, right well, now. but we but we need to, some point we need to we coalesce them, it. and that's the challenge.
0: Right. And we need to show up for midterm elections. That is no joke. We lose because we don't show up for midterm elections. When we don't show up for midterms, that means we lose state houses, gubernatorials, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that means, that means a difference. I mean, had we shown up in 2014, guess what? Um, Merrick Garland would have been mm-hmm. the Supreme Court justice. But because mm-hmm. we lost the Senate, because we didn't show up in 2014, this is where we're at. Right. So elections have consequences, and, and we need to figure out how to harness this into showing up for midterms, a 50-state strategy for redistricting and reapportionment reform, um, because that's, it, competitive districts is the only way we're going to be able to play again. Um, I mean, we got a lot of work to do.
1: Now, you mentioned uh, pro choice as an issue, which, and I'm pro choice 100%. Um, Congressman yeah. Ben Lujan, mm-hmm. uh, who's head of the uh, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, uh, stirred things up a little bit this week when he said that for a party which is the pro choice party, the Democratic Party, uh, that there will not be a litmus test on that issue for uh, people, Democrats running for Congress. Um, and Harold, Howard Dean came out and said he will not give any more money to the DCCC as long as that policy is in place.
5: Well, How Howard
1: Dean, it?
0: Uh, you know, it, I, this is a tough one. I mean, I am um, unapologetically pro-choice. I mean, I have a 100 percent voting record with NARAL and Planned Parenthood and, you know, have been very outspoken on the Amen, issue. you and I both. Um, And, the, you know, and and uh, uh, reproductive freedoms are being eroded Every day at the state level because they haven't been able to get stuff done at the federal level. So it's nasty out there. I mean, we got a 20 week abortion ban in Ohio and the rest of this stuff. That being said, um, you know, let me put it this way I understand where the dude is coming from because I get the fact that he's saying, well, we got (laughs) to find members that fit their district, like John Bocherry in Ohio back in 2008. He was a pro-choice D. I think Charlie Wilson was questionably maybe pro, or I'm sorry, he was a pro-life D. I think Charlie Wilson might have been a pro-life D. They're out there. Um, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, rather than trying to back into Republican districts with fake Republicans, we need to actually invest our money, Howard Dean don't give that money to the DCCC. Invest it in a strategy for redistricting reform, because if we have competitive districts and we lead with an economic message and we lead with a message that that puts, you know, working families first, the rest of this stuff is, in the, is, is you know, is very important. But I think what people in the Midwest, you know, and, and the Rust Belt and whatever you want to say, and they say, oh, we're sick of hear- sick of hearing about bathrooms when we want to hear about the economy. Well, Trump stole our message. We need to take it back from him. Um, and then, you know, the rest of these issues are very important. We cannot abandon them, but it's just a matter of how we present ourselves. So I would say, you know, I understand where the D trip is coming from, um, but I think they would be better served if they focused on redistricting.
1: Right. You know, I'm torn on it, too, I have to say, because, again, I'm unapologetically pro-choice and, uh, and always have been. At the same time, I must say, like in Pennsylvania, uh, I'd rather have pro-life Bob Case, Casey. Bob Casey. Bob Casey. Yeah. Then another Toomey. Rick Santorum. Right? Or, oh. then, or, then, <laughs> you know? or then Rick Santorum. I was going to
0: say something that I'm not going to say. Well, yeah. You know what I'm, I'm thinking. It. Yeah, You know what I'm thinking. I'm not, even gonna say, I'm not going there. You know yeah. what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> at some point, and like uh, there was this little tiff between Bernie Sanders and Tom Perez over the, the, the candidate who was for the mayor of Omaha. Oh, right. He was a progressive and on every issue. He happened right. to be a Catholic, and so right. well, he and, wasn't and that's out there the a crusader that's right. against, but that was his belief. Right, right. And, and, that, and we do saying, need but,
0: to respect people's individual thoughts on that, because it is a little bit more complex than just sheer politics. And so you want to be respectful of people's values, because you don't know where they, where they come at it from. I mean, I had colleagues... In the state senate, that were Democrats, but pro life because you know their wife had like four miscarriages, and they're just and it was a you know adopted, or there was, or was all drilled kinds drilled
1: into them as a Catholic, you know, exactly, right? And they would exactly. never disagree with their parish priest or something, right? I right. mean, so
0: everybody comes at it a little bit different. I understand, you know, the willingness to try to be a bigger tent as the Democratic Party to try to bring more people in, but you know, frankly. The social issues didn't drive the 2016 election, and I think that focusing on that is a is a is a miscalculation of what has made the Republicans successful in their elections. It is because they have co opted the economic message, um, and because they have 25 years of controlling every state, you know, two thirds of the of the state legislatures and the go- and the governor's mansions.
1: Uh, yeah, and you 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 just talked about this. By the way, I just one final point on that. Even uh, Speaker Pelosi, and she's been a leader, certainly in the reproductive rights in, sure. in terms of protecting. Uh, Speaker Leader Pelosi said when this little Omaha thing happened that she said, "Of course, the Democratic Party is a big enough tent, you know, that we can accept some Democrats in some districts who happen to be right. pro-life." Right. And uh, and and I think, we, but the Democratic Party remains the, pro-cho- the pro-choice party right. strongly, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and not water, not watering that down at all. Um, back back to um, the, this issue of 2018 so important and now you serve in the state legislature. Didn't we as a Democratic party lose sight of the fact that it's, that, that these state legislatures really count and that governors really count in terms of the democratic agenda?
8: Well,
0: let me tell you and again, I, w- I was minority leader for almost four of my ten years in office. Um, during the 2010 election. So that was a lot of fun, as you can imagine. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, that was rough. We lost we lost two seats very, very narrowly um, in the state Senate. Um, but there's no question we have lost sight of it. And here's what's happened. I mean, again, Democrats, if you're listening, another way that you, if you want to get at, you know, trying to build, um, you know, from the ground up, um, I'm sure you and your listeners are somewhat familiar with the organization called ALEC. Oh, yeah. Right, um, yeah. We so, talked about exactly. American
1: Legislative Exchange Council. Right, this so, is the Koch brothers funded right. that writes legislation. Le- model
0: legislation for Republicans across the country. they send it out
1: there to all the so state legislatures. So this is how collective
0: bargaining, you know, in Wisconsin and Ohio. Voting rights. Voting rights, reproductive rights. I mean, so there is our our Right num- to work. Right to work. Exactly. I mean, uh, so there are a number of things that get cranked out of this ALEC. Um, and so again because there's been such gridlock in on Capitol Hill and, and I continue to go back to this redistricting thing but I really believe that gerrymandering to extremes has made has and the absence of earmarks to be frank have created a, you know a, a climate of gridlock because nobody wants to compromise and they have no reason to do so so what has happened they've they've shifted the battleground and they've made a 50 state strategy out of you know they've made a national policy basically a 50 state death by a thousand or in this case, fifty cuts. Yeah. Um, and and so we don't have that kind of um, you know, not just grassroots, but collective. Uh, and the DLCC is not the demo. It's basically the DCCC C of the of, of the state legislatures is not is not sufficient. We really do need to combat that. We need to do better at recruitment. Um, we need to again show up in midterm elections. Um and um, you know, we have we have absolutely lost lost absence of that. Um, and we, we're paying the price. Yeah.
1: And one of the exciting things, we, it, let's get back to the grassroots energy right now, is I know that Emily's List, I know our revolution, I yep. had lunch yesterday with the chairman, uh, Larry Cohen, um, is that they are targeting um, can, and recruiting candidates for city councils, yep. state legislatures, governors, but particularly state legislatures, Senate, right. House, uh, Which Assembly. Which great.
0: And, and Emily's List is a fantastic organization that you know I've been a supporter Incredible. of. But they when they invest in a candidate... They really, they, they really do incredible work, um, and we need, frankly, we need more women. Period, because as we've seen, whether it's Lisa Murkowski, um, you know, or yeah. or our you know Democratic women, um, when you have more women in the room, no offense, guys, we love you, <laughs> but when you have more women in the room, you we seem to be more action oriented, uh, searching for compromise, and it's less about, you know, scoring points.
1: Uh, I'll give you that point. I won't. I want to, to dispute that. I won't dispute that at all. We've screwed it up long enough. Um, totally you know, fair. I, I, <laughs> you certainly can do a better job. Uh, <laughs> uh, there, there we go. So, um, in your spare time, you are a contributor to Fox News.
0: Um, not technically contributor, but okay, yes, I'm but there often. Yeah, I'm, I'm on like five days a week. So, okay, but That's... I don't want to. I want to be accurate in my my title. But all, yes, all, yes, all, yes indeed. All, all
1: right. So and uh, the
0: Washington Examiner, I am a contributor to the Examiner.
1: Uh, the Examiner as well. Okay. Now, um, I, so have you heard this latest flap about Fox News and the story of Seth Rich? Which I mean, I have. We haven't had a chance to talk about it yet today, but I'd love to get your take on it because uh, there's a um, um, a lawsuit filed yesterday uh, against Fox News, claiming by a, a detective by the name of Rod Wheeler, who's mm-hmm. also who is a, I believe, a contributor. who was also. Do you see him on Fox. Yeah, yeah, right. you do. Uh, who who represents the Rich family? He's he's the young staffer for the DNC, who was killed here in what the DC police said was a botched robbery attempt. Fox News, Fox and Friends reported that he was assassinated by the Clinton the operation, one of them assassinated because, as a DNC staffer, he had been leaking emails to WikiLeaks. Fox and Friends. Finally withdrew the story, said it was false, they didn't have any information for it. Rod Wheeler is claiming that the White House was in cahoots with Fox News to push this story to try to get the attention for WikiLeaks away from the Trump administration. Um, Your take.
0: Let's hope this is not true. I mean, first of all, let's just talk about the fact that this is a tragic situation this poor kid was, you know, no matter what, is, is gone now, was, you know, was murdered. His family is grieving. They're now being, you know, dragged into conspiracy theories. But this is just one of these things that, you know, I feel like every day in D.C., there's some new theory of, like, just how much we've got off the rails and how basically we're, like, living in some Tom Clancy novel, or something, yeah. you know. And this is just one more chapter in that. And um, but you know,
1: Sean Spicer admits that at the White House they did talk about this. They people came in and and laid this theory out to to, to Sean Spicer as well, press secretary. I
0: mean, I guess anything is possible. And I think that's that's kind of the narrative in all of this right now is that you know we're we're the fact that we're having this conversation is kind of nuts. Um, but at the same time, you know, as crazy as everything has been. Literally anything is possible, so who knows? I hope it's not true.
1: No, at one time they even accused the Clintons of paying to get Vince Foster assassinated. That's right.
0: That's right. It's, it's, I forgot about that. What's so
3: remarkable to me is that the Trump White House—I mean, for all of the you know accusations that they've gotten about you know being fake news or, or, or uh, calling CNN fake news and calling other people fake news—I mean, they just cannot resist manufacturing this stuff. Right? I mean, there there are ways, the Seth Rich story, I think, is just grotesque, just Very. top to bottom, the way that, that, that Fox News has handled it. But, you know, there are plenty of things that the White House can focus on, whether it's things that need to be done, or things that need to be fixed, that are winning arguments, but they pick the most petty, like, BS well, little Well, this things. is why
0: they, they need discipline. I mean, if they were yeah. to actually go forth and execute these weekly themes rather than going here, there, and everywhere, you know, they would be better... Their their agenda would be better served. Unfortunately, that's not necessarily what we're seeing right now. By the way, Uh,
3: just because Donald Trump has not tweeted yet this morning, but his last tweet uh was 22 hours ago, where he says, only the fake news media and Trump enemies want me to stop using social media, 110 million people, only way for me to get the truth out. So it's like it's propaganda. And he even kind of owns up to it there that like, this is my feed, I'm going to curate it however I want. And you can't tell me so what very, to do.
0: very interesting and important time for journalism. And, and yeah. I have great respect for all of my journalist friends who are doing so much work, um you know, in, in the face of, you know, significant, you know, opposition and outrage from, you know, everyone from inside government to, you know, folks on Twitter out there that You'd have been trained not to trust the media.
5: Mm-hmm. And,
0: um, you know, we're... all of us in politics have had our ups and downs with the press. But look, you know, we are public officials. Um, they are, you know, the the, uh, the fourth estate, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, it, they're, they're an important, they're an, they play an important role. And fake news, just because you don't like it, doesn't mean it's fake. Right. right.
1: No, we're seeing, I think, the best investigative journalism that we've seen since the days of Watergate. Uh, maybe ever actually uh, today uh, on the part of so many different uh, so many different uh, news organizations uh, and one of the best White House reporters again, um, Margot Tala from Bloomberg News will be uh, joining us in just uh, a few minutes here. So, I, and final point on the Seth Rich story: right now, these are just allegations in a lawsuit. We don't know what the actual facts are. Exactly. Uh, but uh, while we were talking, I noticed that John Podesta. Who was chair of the Clinton, Clinton campaign? campaign yep. uh, was on CNN. And a fine
0: Italian American. Yes.
1: <laughs> on CNN, talking about this this morning. Uh, morning Joe's been talking about it all morning too. So there'll probably be more on this on this story. Uh, as a Democratic strategist, I have to ask you: Who really, really, really has you excited about 2020? As a Democratic mm. uh, leading Democratic potential nominee. Uh.
0: N- uh.
1: Nobody.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, there's not. Nobody is is really jumping it's out. It's too right early now. anyhow. Right. It may be too early. I mean, we we always talk about how Barack Obama, we didn't know about him until a little bit later. Um, but I, there's nobody right now that's jumping out at me as someone that I think can, you know, carry the electoral college and has both, you know, the message and the values that we want. So, I mean, not to say that they're not all quality people. I mean, whether it's Cory Booker, a fellow Stanford graduate, Kirsten Gilligrand go ladies. Um, you know, or Elizabeth Warren, whoever. I just don't know. Right. Nobody's jumping out.
1: We could have, we could have a stage as big as the Republican we stage. We could. We might even need the JV a, debate. A JV yeah, debate. Right. I, right. I
8: love the JV Remember debate. The JV
1: debate and the yeah and the, and the varsity debate.
3: How quickly we forget that Lindsey Graham ran for president and dominated the JV stage debates. Oh,
0: yeah. Remember
3: true. that? That's and true. Carly he crushed.
1: And Carly Fiorina started Fieri, as a and JV then, and, and then she graduated. Went, that's right. Then right, she went back exactly. up. Exactly. All right. Well, he's only been there 24 hours, but uh, Major John Kelly, or General John Kelly, Chief of Staff John Kelly, has totally changed the way the White House operates. Margaret Taloff is going to tell us all about it from Bloomberg News. Coming up, joining us, Capri Khafira staying with us as a friend to Bill and, of course, Peter. And all of you, we'll be right back.
4: Sarah. April. Thank you. Um, Since you said my name so politely. <laughs> thank you, Sarah. So Somewhat sarcastic. being sarcastic? No,
7: never. Go
4: ahead, April. All right.
2: Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press
1: Show. Here we go on this Wednesday, August 2nd, The Bill Press Show. Great to have you with us today as we boom out to you coast to coast uh, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, the great men and women of the AFT under President Randy Weingarten. Teachers of America making a big difference in the classrooms every single day. We salute them for doing the Lord's work and thank them for the support of the program. Capri Cafaro is with us here as a friend of Bill for the entire hour, a former state senator from the state of Ohio, Democratic strategist, and we're joined by... The new president of the White House Correspondents' Association, if you please, yeah. and uh, senior White House correspondent for Bloomberg <coughs> News, Thank Margaret Tala. Hello, Margaret.
8: Hello. Currently enjoying a honeymoon period. Thank you very much. <laughs> <Exactly. Yeah. laughs> a nice well, slow news cycle. So. We, that's Happy right. To see you. Well, no, nothing
1: <laughs> how are things at the White House? Chief of Staff. Have you seen any changes yet?
8: Uh, well, so uh, we haven't had a sit-down as a group with the board, you know, or actually with the press corps uh, with the new chief of staff, so I'm sort of observing what you're observing, maybe from a little bit closer. It certainly seems like uh, talking about a honeymoon period, it certainly seems like everybody uh, right now wants to do right by him, or at least wants him to think they want mm. to do mm. right by him, and uh, and and that those two things are probably about the same right now. Uh, it'll take some time to see how his Changes are shaking out, but uh, obviously besides his move very quickly with Anthony Scaramucci, uh, there has just sort of been a very clear signal and direct signal sent by him that everything must go through him. He needs to know everything that's going on. And uh, it, that does seem to be having uh, an impact um, on all staff, possibly including the president. That's probably too early to, to say for <laughs> sure. But, but pop, we have right. Look, other than the defiant tweet saying only, you know, Basically, only media wants me to stop tweeting. I (laughs) I have it right
1: here. I was just going to ask you about it. So the question was, would he be able to get Donald Trump to put down his iPhone? Apparently not. Here is the president.
3: This is the last tweet he wrote about 22 hours ago. Only the fake news media and Trump enemies want me to stop using social media, parentheses, 110 million people. Only way for me to get the truth out.
8: Uh, nobody in the media <laughs> wants him to stop using right, <laughs> right.
3: Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I don't want him to stop tweeting. Kill the news cycle. Yeah. Well,
8: and I have to say, like, fr- this is inside base. This is a press strategy thing. But uh, as a reporter, if I'm not going to break the news, I don't want anyone else to break the news either. So, hey, if we all find out about it on Twitter at the same time, yeah. which is what happened on uh, Friday in the middle of that monsoon. Uh, it, they moved through Washington. I was literally on a journalism panel where people were asking questions about what it's like to cover uh, the Trump White oh. House, and the uh-huh. and one of the moderators said, "Well, we're going to let Margaret take questions first because you know it's almost five o'clock on a Friday. Who knows what could happen?" And literally, <laughs> like five minutes later, I, I, my phone was open and I got like a text alert. You know,
1: it was Donald Trump. It was Donald saying, Trump announcing proud that proud to announce.
8: <laughs> yeah, Thank God, yeah. Yeah. that's where it and, came from. And I and I was like. I got to go. And I got up and walked off the panel. Short and sweet. True story. Oh. Ghost
0: the panel. Yeah.
1: The question about um, Donald, uh, about uh, John Kelly's um, <laughs> discipline and control in the White House came up at the briefing yesterday uh, with uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying, Yeah, he's making a difference, but anyhow, here she is.
4: I certainly don't think it's like we're getting permission slips signed, but I do think that there is something to having uh, a structured process in order um, just to make things run more smoothly at the White House.
1: So my question is, uh, who does report to John Kelly through him and who does not? Uh, Does Ivanka? Does Jared Kushner? Does Steve Bannon? Um,
8: I think there's a... A a wide belief at this point that uh, the president's family is going to continue to be able to have private conversations with him, have dinner with him, uh, walk in and out of the Oval Office with a grandchild or whatever, and doesn't need to get sign off from the chief of staff. But uh, from the folks that I've talked to, there is an understanding right now uh, by both the president's daughter and son-in-law that it's important to set an example and to be showing that you're abiding kind of by the same rules. What I don't know, what none of us really knows for sure yet, is what sort of after action reporting is he seeking from the first family, mm. uh, in terms of not private personal family conversations, but what are you talking to him about policy wise? Who do you want who who are you encouraging him to talk to? It's important for the chief of staff to know that stuff from all advisors, including the very top ones, including Uh, uh, Ivanka, including Jared, and including Steve Bannon. Uh, If they're having conversations with the president about policy initiatives they think are important or about strategy or tactics, for the chief of staff to be effective, he needs to know that. He doesn't need to pre-clear their entry into the office. And I think there is a general presumption that there are a very small handful of people, essentially the people that you've named, who have kind of carve-outs from the rules everyone else has to follow. But even so, uh, it's my understanding that that, uh, the chief of staff uh, now expects even from them sort of a level of accountability and and being read in.
1: I think you would probably add Hope Hicks and Omarosa to and, that
8: and Keith Schiller. Keith
1: Schiller, the, the presence, you yeah know, right, right. For, former
8: top former chief body chief man or yeah a, former yeah. top security guy and now total sort of confident sort of uh, parallel chief of staff under the old <laughs> under the old system the parallel. <laughs> There's a whole parallel structure. I mean, it's not really that's not a good way to describe it, but he's uh, he and Hope Hicks are incredibly important uh, aides to the president who were also kind of like family, uh, absolute confidants, uh, kind of a combination of uh, under the Obama model, kind of a combination of Marvin and Valerie Jarrett and maybe like someone else I'm not thinking of rolled into one, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think for that very tight circle of people, there is still a desire by Kelly to understand what what they're, what they're doing and who's coming and going uh, and the desire yeah. on their part to kind of make him feel confident in them. But it's it's not the same as it is for don't, everybody don't else.
1: Don't you think General Kelly must have had that conversation with the president before he accepted the job? One would hope.
0: You would, you would hope, sure. But, I mean, again, you, it's very difficult to speculate exactly what is really happening there. I mean, I would assume that General Kelly wouldn't have taken the job. Had he not had some kind of explicit conversation with the president saying, these are my expectations for my role, um, you know, particularly in the context of the fact that, you know, up to this point, um, you know, the role of the chief of staff and others have been very fluid. There has been a sort of parallel dynamic where you have this, mm -hmm. you know, small set of um, confidants that have by and large been you know working sort of outside the sphere and it became you know kind of a divided white house Margaret you know much better than i um you know living it day in and day out but just as as an observer that's what it seems like so um you know who knows and 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 just because they may have had that conversation doesn't mean that um president trump is going to be accepting of his counsel going forward either uh he may he may accept the counsel one day and reject it the next
1: yeah uh, well, speaking of counsel, uh, uh, the one one issue that uh, uh, has gotten a lot of attention this week uh, is the New York Times report that it was actually the president who helped draft uh, the statement released by Donald Jr. when word first came out about this meeting at Trump Tower back in June of 2016. Um, at first, uh, if we can, Jay, Jay Sekulow, the president's attorney, had been out there um, several times saying um, the president had, knew nothing about this, had nothing, uh, uh, was not involved at all. Yesterday um, at the briefing, uh, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders gave a little different story.
4: The statement that Don Jr. issued is true. There's no inaccuracy in the statement. The president weighed in as any father would based on the limited information that he had.
1: So she's totally contradicting Seculo Margaret, isn't she?
4: Well, what
8: happened in between Sekulow's interview and uh, Sarah's remarks from the podium yesterday is a very detailed story reported by the washington Post uh, and sourced uh, that that says that the president had actually dictated the letter himself and so on uh, Air Force one on Air Force One on the way back from uh, that foreign trip. and so uh what Sarah Sanders said yesterday from the podium was essentially to dial back that report to say, I believe she said he did not dictate it, but he did have input you know, into it Weighed as, in as any father would or as, something yeah, like that. Yeah, as any
1: father would. Right. Uh,
8: to, let's get to the bottom of it. Now, this now becomes a new question that is going to be absolutely picked apart by both the congressional uh, panels investigating it and, more importantly, the special counsel, which already, um, based on reports about their hires and uh, the scope of their operation, is uh, looking into a wide range of issues uh, that – Appear to span from what's going on in the White House to the president's um, perhaps business dealings. So, yeah,
0: and and I think part of this, I mean, it's it's a fascinating story, and I think part of this, you know, um, you know, if true, which let's let's operate on the assumption that it is true, that um, President Trump dictated this, you know, memo um, to his son. Um, you know, I think it's a it's a reflection of the way that President Trump has always conducted himself in the Trump organization with his children. You know, they've always had to an answer to him as much as you know it seemed autonomous in some semblance that mm-hmm. you know Ivanka was doing hotels and Eric is doing, you know, golf courses or whatever, you know, he has never had to answer to external individuals and I don't think he has managed to understand that his role has changed and his interface with his children has to adapt to his new role as president of the United States um and a, and yeah. that i think is you know, while he may not necessarily have come at it from a nefarious perspective, he also has not developed the skill, and I don't know if he will, to check himself to be like, okay, this is something I would do, but now I'm president. Now, and I look at this – I was on the ethics committee in Ohio for eight of my ten years in office, and so I look at everything through the lens of, like, you know, congressional ethics, legislative ethics, and it's like you always have to think twice about what you're going to do. He doesn't have that filter yet. No. What's the difference? I'm, different role. Well, right, certainly. And I
8: I think nobody would argue it. it's it, on the face of it. It's not inappropriate for at a company, at a family run business for the head of the company to make decisions about what the statement is going to say when it goes out. Uh, although it's important, even in that case, for the statement to be accurate. accurate, not just accurate in terms of not saying anything that's demonstrably wrong, but the whole notion of the sins of omission is important also. But it, it goes to a completely different threshold when of course, when you're holding the highest office in the land. And part of the reason why you don't normally see a lot of family serving with the president at the White House, and Don Jr.'s not, to be clear, but yeah. uh, is, is precisely because of these entanglements. You know, Because, of course, someone is going to want to take care of their family and their children. And, of course, uh, someone who is used to uh, speaking for their children is going to have an instinct to do that. Uh, but it is taking... A framework that existed in a completely different, you know, way, and trying to to translate it into the White House, which is like a uniquely special office, and uh, the statement that initial statement did not uh, fully reflect aspects of that the premise of the meeting, essentially the part about Hillary Clinton being kind of the draw to it, and to so the question based one of the, on yeah,
1: the emails right, Donald Trump Trump which came out after so, right?
8: So. You know, one of the obvious questions is Did the president know that when he wrote the statement, or did he not know that yet? He certainly knows it now. We all know it now.
1: All these questions we speculate about that Robert Mueller is the one who's ultimately going to answer, right?
8: We can't answer them, but we can certainly talk about them. And there are a lot of other things to be talking about. But the reason everyone keeps talking about these sort of things is because they keep sort of surfacing, you know. So, like, look at Congress. Look at what the Senate's doing. They don't even want to go home. They're trying to get people confirmed for nominations. They're trying to forget about health care for a second. They're trying to deal with the debt ceiling. They're trying to at least go home, be able to tell people we've started the discussion about tax reform. And these distractions keep coming up, and they are distractions caused by omissions by the president, by the White House.
1: Right, self-inflicted wounds. Um, but we're not going to forget about health care because I don't want to ask you about health care. <laughs> oh, let's forget Just for a month or so. But in effect, yesterday, um, several Republican senators, not those that you might think would be the first ones to come out and say this doesn't make any sense. Um, John Thune yesterday, for example, right, saying, no, 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 uh, let's just work on stability right now. Arne Hatch saying... Forget about repeal. Let's get together and we'll kind of work things out. And then Lamar Alexander is saying, we're going to start having bipartisan hearings in September to try to work Regular out order, a plan. I'm Regular order? I'm shocked. Regular order, yeah. And in the Breaking meantime, news. we're not going to do anything about it, which is really a way of telling Donald Trump, isn't it, Senate Republicans, you know, we're not going to play your game anymore.
8: Midterms start, like, in the blink of an eye. The minute mm-hmm. your suntan's over, it's like you're in re-election <laughs> season. And, and by the end, by... I won't even say the end of the year because that doesn't exist. Before Thanksgiving, um, they, well, let's just say by the end of the year, just to be generous. Uh, if if they don't have something on on tax reform, uh, there are two very real and potential risks. One is um, just on the face of it, a pr- trouble with reelection, and with that comes control of one or two chambers, which they, Republicans cannot afford. They do not want to give that up, right? And then number two is uh, how patient the markets are willing to be. Uh, Mm -hmm. President Trump himself talks – a lot about how well the market has performed since his presidency and uh, anyone who follows finance or their own investments knows that to be mm-hmm. true also. Mm-hmm. And the perennial question of what's driving this and how long can it last? Uh, President Trump likes to make the case that confidence in him and his administration uh, and the belief in that things will happen, including less regulation and including s- some re- changes, tax cuts, uh, are what's helping. Uh, if, that, if that premise is true and if that has anything to do with the, the position of the markets right now, Failure to act, failure to show progress, um, could jeopardize that, and nobody, who's the party in power, wants that heading into right. who, a always, season. who
0: always who uh, always you know performs um, worse. The, the party in power always performs worse, the party in the White House in in the midterms, which is you know conventional which is yeah. conventional wisdom historically. I mean, just one really quick thing about the, about the markets and, and about economic growth. There was a CBO report that came out that has not really gotten a lot of coverage about um, Trump's budget. Um, and the discrepancies between CBO projections and the administration's projections on economic growth. Um, And the administration's projections for economic growth, um, I think they hover around like maybe, I don't know, 3% and change. Based upon the assumption that tax reform and other things are going to keep people spending more, and you're going to generate more revenue, blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas CBO is is much less um, generous with with their um, assumptions on that. Right. So um you know, closer to like a one percent. So the reality is, um you know maybe the the economy isn't growing as as you know strong won't grow as strongly as this administration assumes. Um, and um and frankly, well yes the the markets have been performing you know significantly well um, outside of maybe like public pension systems and those that that have had have the wherewithal to significantly invest in their 401ks um, you, wall street's victories don't necessarily trickle down to Main Street, mm, yeah. um, so you won't necessarily feel those things. Um you know, in the way that uh, we you know we we see the Dow and the S P skyrocket. Not that I wanna but, not that
3: I want to get into the business of reading all of Donald Trump's tweets. Oh, okay. come on, man. But he did tweet again yesterday, uh quoting Stuart Varney from Fox and Friends quote Corporate, cool, though. Co- yeah, he is. Corporations have never made as much money as they are making now. Thank you, Stuart Varney at Fox and Friends jobs are starting to roar. Watch. There's a giant disconnect, I think, from saying corporations are making more money than they've ever made to jobs are coming back in America. I think that is just like a quantum leap for a lot of people.
8: Uh, Yeah. I mean, that actually goes to the Trump base. That actually goes to the people in in your home state of Ohio. It goes to the people in West Virginia where the president will go tomorrow. Uh, And that really is where the rubber meets the road. It is the same test for health care. On the one hand, the campaign argument was uh, the Affordable Care Act failed to live up to its promise of protecting you and I'm committed to protecting you and what I do will give you better and more. Uh, and then there's uh, the policies that the, the president has pressured Republicans to go forward with, which, according to estimates, risk uh, losing the coverage. So you can make you can and, and many Republicans have made the argument that the system is just too expensive now in order to get it better. You maybe have to take it back to bring it back. But that's not the case that the president made on the campaign trail. So there no. has been but a lot of it.
0: But the other thing that, that that Trump did say, he said, we're going to repeal and replace, and we're going to get you better, cheaper health care, and we're not going to touch Medicare and Medicaid. That was the promise Donald Trump made to to the people of America that voted for him. They just assumed that... Um, you know, somehow, again, because of his business acumen, he's going to be able to go in and cut deals, um, not recognizing the complexity. And, and even President Trump at his own admissions that he didn't recognize who knew. He said who knew that health care was so, was so complicated. complicated. The
8: promises were good and the promises were from for a populist perspective what a lot of voters wanted to hear but executing them has proved extremely right. challenging and Wait, you can't so, do it without bipartisans so, so, that's right
1: right so on the healthcare thing the republicans have said no we're going to go our own way now we're going to look for fixing or mending rather than ending um one break with uh, with president trump the other was on sanctions on the, on the sanctions yeah. against russia where that bill is now on his desk, Collecting with desks. strong support, Republican support, in wouldn't have passed otherwise. And, in he, the will House sign, and he will and sign the it. I was going to
8: ask you, do you think he, he will? S- yes, of course. Well, first of all, he put out his his office put out a statement saying he would sign it. Uh, and second of all, it that bill is so veto override, so veto proof. <laughs> I mean, right. it's right. and there is, and that's a humiliation then to try to veto something that is swiftly overridden. An override only underscores the message that the sanctions bill carried so right. uh, i think the question for everyone has been uh what sort of um statement of principles will he or, st- or statement of purpose going forward will he broadcast along with the signing of that bill so right. there is just uh, look what what russia did which was to uh, enact diplomatic retaliations th- the timing that they chose to use which was the moment congress passed it not to wait for president trump told you everything you needed to know Number one, that it was a foregone conclusion that it would be signed at that point, and that's what uh, the Russian the spokesman for the Russians said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number two, that Vladimir Putin still was seeking to give President Trump a little bit of face-saving, a little bit of wiggle room, in case, he's, in case there's any way he's able to <laughs> kind of go easy on the administration of those sanctions. Uh, but the way that that legislation is crafted, uh, I'm not sure that there is. And the one expert that I talked to yesterday said... Um, that he actually believes, if the Trump administration comes comes out, rolls out a consistent uh, and clear and kind of tough Russia policy, that Congress will pull back those sanctions and enact a different set that gives him actually more flexibility. Uh, be, just because the long term impact on the executive branch of having sanctions that tie the president's hands isn't necessarily one that Republicans you know want for future presidents.
1: Right. Um, they and and President Obama had that authority. Right. They're taking it away from. From, from President Trump. But uh, doesn't the clock run out at some point in terms of his signing this bill? Oh,
8: he'll, he's going to sign this
1: bill. He'll, he's going to sign it, right. So that, that's well, you can of...
8: have me back on the show and flog me mercilessly. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. I, I think this is done.
1: Right. Now, the uh, the Washington Post also. Uh, so we went from, it seems that there's a long way from Donald Trump at the G20 with this meeting with Vladimir Putin and saying what a great conversation we had, and we're, it was an we're, honor we're, and a privilege and, and all that, and 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 everything is good and we're going to go forward and it's going to be, and now to signing these tougher sanctions against Russia, the uh, Post this morning reporting that uh, Donald Trump is the administration is about to propose some new trade restrictions on China. That we're, we're no longer saying, oh, China's our friend because they're going to take care of North Korea. Now we're going to go back to China's manipulating their currency. currency. And so we're going to. You know, well,
0: that, in, I mean, again, in, that, that's, that's that's what people war. signed up for. Um, you know, the, the, so, I mean, in my opinion, Democrats elected Donald Trump, Republicans did not. You know, a lot of of you know Democrats crossed over for him for that reason because he was yep. going to renegotiate NAFTA. He was going to label China currency manipulator. He was going to deal with the steel dumping issue, and he was okay. going to bring back coal jobs, and then like you know, give everybody health care at a, at a cheaper rate, not touch Medicare and Medicaid, and Social Security. P.S. Veterans. So that was his entire message, you know, it to works. to the public. Now guess yeah. what? Six hundred of those jobs at Carrier in Indiana <laughs> that he miraculously saved are going to Mexico. Um, the third shift at General Motors Lordstown. Makes the Chevy Cruze that I represented, um, you know, has has been eliminated, and 14 coal-fired plants are being cl- are slated to close just in 2017. So that's not going to help bring coal jobs back. So he's got to do something.
1: Well, on the China thing, is this is there a coherent policy on um, China, or is it sort of seat of the pants?
8: Uh, I think North Korea right now is the priority, and I think uh, the president's not getting what he wanted in terms of Chinese cooperation on North Korea, and if. The, if these uh, threats to go after unfair trade practices or whatever uh, provoke, um, nudge a response from uh, President Xi, uh, in which China agreed to do more in North Korea, I think we'd see a lot of these uh, trade actions uh, fade away Fatal. very quickly in the ranking of priorities. But for now, it's a good message to President Trump's domestic base. At the times, he needs to push them up that, anyway. Were you surprised that uh,
1: Secretary Tillerson, in his first brief press briefing in seven months? Yesterday said, we're open to uh, one-on-one talks with the head of North Korea?
8: Uh, No. Um, I think, first of all, President Trump has long floated this idea if the situation was right. But second of all, I think there is a a a growing, reluctant but growing conclusion among a lot of national security experts that the time for sanctions, the time for uh, demands, the time for threats may have... Past and or that show
1: of military force, that like flying the bomber, that over. what
8: North Korea has shown us means things are happening much faster than we thought they are.
1: Right. Yeah. But they got a missile that can reach Los Angeles. Uh, somebody <laughs> got to step up. Maybe we or better change our tactics. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh my, Margaret, congratulations again on uh, your post, president of the White House Correspondents' Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much. And Capri, great to have you with us. Absolutely. Always. All right. Pleasure. Have a great day, folks. And we'll look for you this right here. This is the tomorrow. Bill Press Show.